We are officially in 2013, right? Sumner County students got to go back to school a little early. Amen. Well, except for my boys, they, they, they missed their first two days. It was tragic. They, we, we told them we could get them back on a special plane if they wanted to get back, but they decided to stay for a couple of days in Disney World while school was going on from our planned trip. We had a great start to 2013. We took our family to Disney World, had a great trip last week. We're glad to be back, though. We're glad to be here. We missed you last week. Um, we missed being with you and continue to, to look forward to being together. But I got to thinking about this coming year. And um, as I was thinking about it over the last week, as we were celebrating New Year's, as we were ringing in the New Year, as we were thinking about 2013, it's always interesting how New Year's has this sense of possibility about it. Like you can look back on 2012 and you know it's a known commodity. You may not remember it all, but you know what happened. But 2013 has lots of potential. And as I was thinking through it, though, in my own mind, for some reason, the year just hearing 2013 doesn't bring a lot of excitement. I mean, you may be different. Maybe this is a year you've looked forward to and something's going to happen this year. But, but for me, I, I kind of felt like, and this was a kind of a phrase I was thinking through this message and thinking through today, that, that 2013 could be a footnote year in my life. Now, what I mean by that is uh, one of those years that if you're writing the story of my life doesn't deserve a whole chapter, but maybe just a footnote. I mean, we're not expecting any children, which is kind of a big deal. For us recently, right? Uh, there are not huge things happening in 2013. No ancient civilization predicted the end of the world in 2013. There are no Olympics. There's no election to which we all can say amen or praise God or whatever you would like to use there, right? Uh, it just seems, I mean, in fact, even the year 2012, for some reason, this, you may think I'm weird and that's okay, but it just felt weighty, like hearing it, you know, like we even had the 12, 12, 12, it just felt like significant and 2013 just kind of is there. So as I was thinking through it last week and as I was thinking about today and what we're going to do today and really what we're doing starting next week, because starting next week we're going to start a series of messages about what the church is and who the church is for and what the church should be doing. And we're going to be looking at the book of Acts for an extended period of time for the next six weeks or so. And I was thinking through all that. I just felt the Lord say to me, 2013 shouldn't be a footnote year. That there are big things that I'm expecting to do in and through you and in and through that church. And so I begin to think through it and think about, well, what is God intending to do or what does God want to do? And, and as I was doing this studying, I, I, the one word kept coming back. And, and, and it's not this thing going to blow you away because it's a word that ought to be at the front of our minds a lot. But it was just the word prayer. And when I kept thinking about this day in particular... January 6, 2013, and the message I was going to bring to whoever God had brought to this place at this time, the word prayer just came to mind. As I was studying and reading, this quote or question just kind of made me stop and think. And it simply said, if God had answered every prayer the way you ask it to be answered in 2012, what eternal difference would have been made? 
If God answered every prayer that you prayed in 2012, would it have made a difference in eternity? Now listen, I ask that question because I know how we pray. Generally we pray for us and our family and maybe two or three people that are sick that we know. If God answered every prayer you ask in 2012, what eternal difference would have been made? Man, listen, I, I know the prayers. I mean, I just got through traveling and flying on planes. And so we prayed a lot, Lord, safe travel. And safe travel is important and safe travel is good. But what eternal difference does safe travel make? Kids went back to school. Soon the prayers will be, Lord, help me on this test. Here's the truth. God rarely helps the unprepared. You ever notice that? I'm not saying miracles don't occur, but, you know. Sometimes I get the feeling that God is, is, is in heaven and He's listening to our prayers and He enjoys all the prayers. And listen, I'm not going to tell you to stop praying that stuff. You need to pray for people that are sick and pray for your family and all that. But I wonder sometimes if God doesn't look down and say to us, why don't you ask me for something really important? Why don't you ask me for something that really makes a difference eternally? It is so easy for a church and for individuals, as you grow in the Lord for whatever reason, to drift and begin to turn inward. And begin to pray more and more about your family and your stuff and not to think about God's plan. And as I was doing that, I was reading through the book of Acts, and I came in Acts chapter 4. Now don't turn there yet, or you can turn there, but we're, we're going to look at some stuff on the screen, but it's not going to be up for a while. But in Acts chapter 4, we have recorded the first recorded prayer of the church. You remember what happens at the beginning of Acts, right? We're going to spend some time in Acts. But in Acts chapter 1, remember they all gather together. They pray. They appoint a new apostle to take Judas's place. Then they pray and down comes the Spirit and like fire and there's a wind and all that happens. And Peter gets up and he decides to preach. And he preaches this message and he calls people to repentance and he calls people to faith. And on that first day, 3,000 people come to faith. Now imagine this. Imagine that we decided, hey, this is the last week we're going to do First Baptist Church in this building in Goodlettsville, all right? After we got through, um, um, well, after I got through fielding about 800 phone calls next week, let's just pretend we decided that we're going to move down, down downtown Nashville. I'm going to get up in downtown Nashville, and I'm going to start preaching. And I preached that day, and we're starting a brand new church in downtown Nashville, and 3,000 people join on the first day. That'd be a pretty good day, wouldn't it? If you don't think it'd be a good day, we probably need to have a conversation afterwards, all right? That'd be a great day. And so they have 3,000 people join, and it tells us in chapter 2 that they come and they start to share, and they've got all these issues. Well, where do we put people? What do we do? And it says they were daily meeting, working through all that, talking about what Jesus taught, sharing the Lord's Supper together, having this fellowship where everybody was saying, hey, you need a coat? Hey, listen, I've got two coats. Here's a coat. Take it. Wait, hey, listen, I don't really need the coat I've got. You take it. Just sharing with one another, fellowshipping, praying, all that together. And at the end of chapter 2, you get this sense that this movement, and we're going to talk about that a lot next week, this movement of God has begun. And in Acts chapter 3, you have this little story stuck in there. Peter and John are going to the temple to pray, it says. And this is what's interesting in Acts chapter 3. They're going to the temple, the Jewish temple, to pray about 
these people understanding who Jesus is. And as they're walking up to the Jewish temple, there is a guy there that is lame. Now, that's one of those words that has taken a different meaning, right? If one of the teenagers says, man, they are lame. First of all, that's probably not even cool anymore. But if it were, that would mean that they were uncool, right? But then lame meant what? He couldn't walk, right? And so there's this guy laying there. It says he's been lame since birth, crippled since birth. He can't walk. He's sitting at the temple. And someone drags him there. That's what it says every day. And he sits there and he begs every day. I need some money. Can you give me some money? I can't make a living. I need some money. And people going into the temple, uh, generally people going to the temple are a little more receptive to giving a little bit because they feel like they're trying to make right with the Lord. And so that was a good spot to be. Well, Peter and John walk up and they see him and he says, can I have some money? I need some money. Could you spare some? Brother, could you spare a dime? Right? And so as they're there, they say to him, one of those great quotes in the New Testament, silver and gold we do not have, but we can give you something in the name of Jesus. Walk. And what happens? What happens? He walks, right? It kind of wouldn't be a good sermon if he didn't walk there, right? So he walks. He gets up. He starts to walk. It's this amazing thing. Now, he's pretty excited about that because when you haven't walked your entire life and you have the chance to walk, guess what? You're pretty excited about it. So he runs in. He starts telling people about it. People go crazy about it. And Peter, sensing the opportunity, says, this guy can walk. Let me tell you how. And he shares Jesus with the crowd. The next day, people are still buzzing about it. They're still talking about it. And it tells us in that time frame that 5,000 men had come to faith in Christ. Now, think about this for a minute. Peter says... You know the guy you killed six weeks ago? He's not dead. He's alive. And you need to follow him. And six weeks after he hung on a Roman cross, there are now 10% of the population of Jerusalem following him. It's an amazing story. And Peter is telling all this, well, the Jewish leaders realize they've got a problem. And so... They have Peter and John arrested. They pull him in, they pull him in, they have him arrested. They bring him before him and they say, could you tell us what happens? And Peter, always sensing opportunity, says, absolutely. You remember that guy you killed six weeks ago. Now think about this. He's in front of Caiaphas. Do you remember him from the story of Jesus? High priest. Trial of Jesus there. They're standing before the guy that put Jesus to death and they go, that guy you put to death... Yeah, we're preaching him because he's alive. Oh, I know you put him to death and you did kill him, even though you shouldn't have, but you did. I just want you to know he's not dead. And it says they don't have a clue what to do with him. In fact, Peter says what we're preaching is there is no other name except the name of Jesus by which men can be saved. That's a pretty offensive statement today, isn't it? I mean, if you just said that, if you just walked out, if I went to a government building or I just wrote that in the newspaper and I said there is no other name other than Jesus by which men could be saved, that may make some of you uncomfortable. Well, imagine how it made the guys that killed him feel. And they say, we don't know what to do with you. In fact, it tells us in the, in the Scripture, in Acts chapter 3, 4, that they talk amongst themselves and they say, listen, we can't kill them. 
I mean, in fact, you probably could hear the discussion was like, listen, we killed Jesus, and now we got 10% of the population following him. What happens if we kill these guys? And so they don't know what to do. And so they bring them in and they say, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to let you go. We're not going to do anything to you. But it says, with strong words they urge them, as long as you don't say anything about Jesus. Or resurrection. And I love Peter and John's responses. They just look at them simply and say, listen, you're going to have to do what you've got to do. We've got to do what we've got to do. We can't stop talking about it. So in other words, if you want to put us back in jail... Put us back in jail. If you want to kill us, kill it. It doesn't matter. Because we answer to God, not to you. So here's what happens. That's where I'm all that to set this scene. They come back. And it says they get out and they come back to the people. In fact, you can go ahead and put the first verse on the screen. This is Acts 4, verse 23. It says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now, here's what happens. They get out, and the first thing they do is they go find these people. Scripture tells us they've been praying for them, they've been looking for them, and they go out and they find them, and they say, listen, you're not going to believe it. We were in there, the healing happened, we saw that, we got arrested, we told them what we told them. You can look at you, and people are amazed. Wow, what's going on? Next verse. And when they heard it, so they share it all, they lifted their voices together to God and said, So here it is, the first recorded prayer of the church. I'm sure it's not the first prayer of the church, but this is the first recorded prayer of the church. They get together, man, that's great. Can you imagine, let me ask you this, what would you have prayed? Let's remind ourselves, who are the two most important people to this Christian movement right now, at this time? Peter and John, right? Peter and John are the most important people to this movement for it going forward. Now, I understand we say, well, God would whoever. Yes, but in the people's minds, the two most important people are Peter and John. And you know what some of them are thinking, or at least what we would be thinking in that moment, which is, all right, listen, guys, that's a great story. But we got to rethink some things. All right. Hey, the two of you can never go anywhere together. We can't lose both of you at the same time. Right. And we're going to put some protection detail around you. And so, um, hey, Barnabas, you're a pretty big dude over there. You're going to stick with Peter, all right? right? I mean, that's what we think. And our prayer would probably be, Lord, thank you for rescuing Peter. And thank you for rescuing John. Lord, protect them. Let's put a hedge of protection around them. Let's build a dome of protection around them. Let's not let anything get to them, right? Travel safe with these men. Keep them safe. Travel in mercies on them. You see, in America, we're concerned about safety. In fact, somebody may have even, you know, if it was here. Hey, guys, listen, y'all have done a great job. Man, this is an unbelievable story. We got 5,000. We got 10% of the city joining us. That's a pretty good kickoff. We might want to, might you know, think about kind of uh, just the rhetoric. It can come down a little bit. You know what I mean? You can talk about Jesus, but just talk about what he taught. You don't have to use that word resurrection because, man, I really get some people fired up. Let's watch the rhetoric a little bit. Here's what they pray. Sovereign Lord. First of all, they acknowledge in the first words that God is still in complete control of everything that is going on. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea And everything in them. That covers everything, right? 
earth, the heaven, the sea, and everything in them. You're the one that made all that. It goes on to say this, verse 25. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. So now we're going to quote an Old Testament passage. It says, you remember. Do you think God remembered? Yeah, God remembered. All right. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? It goes on. Verse 26. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. He said, do you remember, through David, you gave this prophecy that the Gentiles and our leaders, the Jewish leaders, they would all conspire together, gather together against the Lord and specifically against His anointed. Verse 27. For truly... In this city, right here where we are, that happened. By God, you're sovereign. You're in control. You're doing everything. You've got it from the beginning to the end. And you said a long time ago that your anointed one would be persecuted and even killed because of these leaders coming together. Well, guess what, God? That's happened. By the way, God knew that. They're just reminding themselves of who this is they're talking to. That's a little stronger theologically than, Lord, thank you for this day. Now let me get to the stuff I need. They gathered against your holy servant, Jesus, in case, you know, this is how it came out. Whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, Jewish leadership, Roman leadership, Gentiles, and the peoples of Israel. Verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Listen, God, we're here. That's what they're praying. God, we are here because you've already worked out everything your plan had in place. So we know you're in control. We know you're in charge. We're not doubting that in the least. Then they get to the gimme section. You know what I mean by the gimme section? All right, here's what we need. Verse 29. And now, Lord, they ask for two things. Look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. We might say to them, boldness? Don't you realize boldness has got you where you are? Don't you realize that you're in trouble because of your boldness? In fact, in the original, in this translation, this version from the English Standard Version, tries to kind of, kind of, it says a little bit more than is actually there. And it says in the original that they pray for boldness. Not to continue in boldness, but that we would have the ability to speak with boldness. Almost as if we haven't been bold, give us boldness. When we look at him and say, you have been bolder than I have ever been in my life. You stood before the man who sentenced Jesus to death and said, you killed him. And he's alive. We would look at him and say, you got that boldness thing covered, all right? Peter, John, y'all got the boldness thing down. But to Peter and John, they say, we want more. When was the last time you prayed for boldness? To speak about God with boldness. Just a little note. Not weirdness. Sometimes Christians mistake being weird for being bold, alright? I mean boldness in declaring who God is. When was the last time you asked the Lord for boldness in your workplace? For boldness in your family gatherings? 
For boldness among your social group of people. For boldness with acquaintances. For boldness in life. Can I tell you something? One of the most amazing stories of history is that the story of Jesus Christ made it to the 21st century. I mean, he was a guy that his revolution didn't work. According to the world, he got killed. And yet, here we are, 2,000 years later, talking about this guy and what he taught. It is an amazing story. Do you know that in, just in general, and I heard somebody say this this week, most people, and most people my generation and younger may not even know this, we may only know one, but most people only know two people that were crucified by the Roman government. Jesus, anybody know the other? Spartacus, there we go, who said that Marvin over there, Miss Joan right there. I wouldn't say that, you know, I wouldn't go so far as to say y'all weren't my generation, but, you know, my generation and now. How many, how many of you have never seen Spartacus? You don't even know who I'm talking about. All right, all right. Spartacus was a guy that read a slave revolution in Rome, and his story is known far and wide, but here's the reason his story is known far and wide. It's because... He was a guy that put it to the Roman government, almost succeeded, and they decided to crucify him and all of his associates, and they stretched them on crosses from Rome as far as they could down the road to show people you don't mess with Rome. And then they had their historians write up the story over and over and over again to say, you don't mess with Rome, or this is what ends up happening to you. He's the only other guy we know. Jesus didn't have any of that. And yet his story, we're sitting here talking about, and people invest their lives about, 2,000 years later, it's an amazing story. And here's the reason. It's because they were bold in proclamation of Jesus Christ. If it depended on our boldness, they may not be talking about it in 2,000 years. When's the last time you prayed for boldness? Here's the second thing they pray. Verse 30. We pray for boldness in our communication while you stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your servant Jesus. Some of you go, wait a minute, we came to a Baptist church, all right? We don't talk about that kind of stuff in Baptist churches. But here's the thing that's interesting about this. In the New Testament, signs and wonders are everywhere in the New Testament, and so... If you're in a church that doesn't believe in signs and wonders in some way, same form or fashion, you're in a church that doesn't believe in the New Testament. All right? But they always are vehicles to open the door to people to see how great God is. One of the problems with signs and wonders and miracles and stuff that are perpetrated today is that generally they're done within God's people, within God's house, for God's people, or for profit. Where signs and wonders in the New Testament were always used to open the door for the movement of God to show people how powerful He was. Basically what they're saying is this. God, this is what we want more than anything. All right? We don't need safety. You notice there's no safety or security or hedge of protection or keep us safe or protect them or don't let them get arrested again or don't let them get killed. In fact, here's the thing. They would pray for boldness and guess what God gave them? Boldness, right? Boldness to the point that all but one of them was killed for speaking about Jesus. What they're basically saying is, Lord, we want you to do some things in and through us that will 
cause the people that are around us to be able to open their minds to the possibility of you and then give us the boldness when that happens to speak about you in a way that they understand who you are. Lord, use my life to show how great you are and then give me the boldness to tell them about why I'm like this because of who you are and what you've done. In fact, it takes the words. You know, you've heard, some of you have heard the quote from St. Francis of Assisi, um, at all times preach the gospel if necessary use words well the truth is scripture teaches it's always necessary it's never enough just to let them see you've got to let them know and here's the thing that i think is interesting about the experiences in my life when i've prayed for and followed through on boldness is that god has an adventure waiting for me that is more than i could ask or imagine we went to disney world this week and we actually you know some people have asked me how's your vacation i don't really know if you call Legoland on Monday, Animal Kingdom, Hollywood Studios, Magic Kingdom, Epcot, five parks, five days, four kids, nine and under. I don't know if that's a vacation. It's a, an adventure. But the first, one of the things that happened is this was the first time going that we've gone anywhere like that, that Eli was really excited about roller coasters. He had never ridden a roller coaster. He was really excited about wanting to ride it. He and I talked about it. We looked forward to riding a roller coaster together. Well, Eli was going to ride roller coasters, and Eli's the big brother, and so you know what Luke wanted to do. Because as little brother, you always do whatever. So Luke wanted to ride roller coasters. And so the first roller coaster we rode on the whole trip was a roller coaster called Dragon at Legoland. Everybody ever been to Legoland? Okay, a couple of us. All right, there's one called the Dragon. And it's okay. It's not real high speed. And Luke wanted to ride it. And I thought, this is a good starter. So we rode it. And so we got on there. Eli was, uh, but I don't remember, were you in front or behind? Do you remember? You were behind us, right? And the, so we're riding. And Luke, this is the first time Luke's ever experienced this. And we start to go down the first hill. And all Luke will say is, Dad, it's making me feel like I go to the bathroom. Dad, I'm just like... Not now, not now, not now, not now. Do you have, do we get off the rest? Do you have to go? No, it just made me feel like it. I was like, I don't understand that at all. So the, <laughs> so we go to Animal Kingdom the next day. And at Animal Kingdom, they have a ride called Expedition Everest. How many of you ridden Expedition Everest? All right. And so we, um, we, it's the first day at the Disney parks and it took us a little while to discuss, to figure out the fast pass system and all that, but we finally got one and it was for later that night. And so I spend the afternoon trying to talk Luke out of it, right? I mean, here's the thing. I don't know if you've noticed that Luke's a little tall for his age. All right. Uh, anytime you see the preschool choir sing, it's pretty evident. All right. He's a little tall for his age. And so that means he can ride as a six year old, anything in that park. Anything in any of the Disney parks, Luke can ride, all right? And so he's like, Dad, I'm going to ride. And I was like, and Susan and I talked about, you know, really, I don't know that he... And I looked and I said, are you sure about him riding? She goes, no. I said, I'm not either. But he was going to ride it. And so we go get on there. And you know Expedition Everest, those of you that have ridden it, it goes down and up, and then you go up the big hill, and then you go back down backwards, and you go around, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just looking at thinking... This is what my ride is going to be, because I'm sitting next to Luke. It's going to be, like, enjoy the first little part, and then it's going to be, my arm is going to be taken off of my body by Luke squeezing and yanking, like, scared to death. And so we do it, and the story of Expedition Everest, you look for a Yeti, and you 
you don't find him. Or then you see his shadow and then you race away. So we get in there and we're climbing up that big hill. And we go. And Luke starts screaming. And I, you, you know, you can't tell whether it's good or bad. It's just screaming. You know? And so we get to the end of the ride. And I think this is where Luke's going to say, Dad, I don't ever want to do that again. We see our picture, you know, those great pictures. And Luke looks like he is in sheer terror, all right? And I say, boys, what would you think? And Eli has a smile on his face like the one that just loved it. And I say, Luke, what did you think? He goes, that was awesome! Now, if you ask Luke his favorite part of the whole trip, he'll tell you either when he got trained as a Jedi and got to fight Darth Vader or Rock and Roller Coaster, which was the next day. All right. But here's the thing. He absolutely loved it. And I think as a six year old, I would have never attempted something like that. All right. Sometimes as a 36 year old, I'm like, boys, if y'all don't want to go on, we don't really have to go on. right? But here's the thing. When he was bold in his decision to ride, it paid off in an unbelievable experience. Here's the thing. God has some things planned for you in 2013 that I think you just need to boldly ask Him for the courage to speak boldly while He works in and through you in a mighty way. And when you do, get ready for the ride of your life. When's the last time you prayed for boldness? Some of you kids have gone back to school and there are people sitting next to you every day that need to hear about Jesus Christ. need to see it in your life. Some of you adults, you don't get winter break and so you've been at work. There are people, customers that you're going to serve or people you work next to that need to hear Jesus Christ. And you need to begin to pray, God, give me the boldness to do what you've called me to do.